back with Graphic Policy Radio, the comics podcast for folks who actually knew that it was already going to be Pride Month and have thoughts about what that might mean. Um, so uh, we have a couple of awesome guests joining us today for a roundtable on the state of LGBTQ comics. And before we get into that, I just wanted to say a few things about today being the anniversary of uh, the Orlando massacre. And I want us to keep the victims of the of, of Pulse uh, tragedy in, in mind and that these were largely Latinx LGBTQ people, um, particularly folks from Puerto Rico, which is going through so much right now on account of banks literally destroying their island. Um, we really owe it to LGBTQ Latinx people to keep them in the forefront of the conversations that we have this Pride Month and especially around Pulse. Um, because that was exactly who was most impacted by the crime, as well as uh, the folks who are, who are Muslim and who are also suffering from bigotry that haters are using the tragedy as an excuse to promote. I want to suggest one particular nonprofit if folks are looking for something to support, which is the Contigo Fund. It's C-O-N-T-I-G-O Fund, Contigo, like with you. Um, and it is a foundation that gives money to existing LGBTQ Latinx organizations doing organizing work. Um, I don't like when people turn a tragedy like this into a generic be nice to your neighbors thing, because that's not what this is about. This is about something that was done to a specific group of people for a specific reason. So we need to keep the focus on supporting people in those communities in particular. Uh, So with that in our hearts, let's go and talk about the state of LGBTQ comics. Um, Our guests today are Desiree Rodriguez, she is a hey columnist and editorial. Hey, Lizare. She is a columnist and editorial assistant for Lion Forge Comics Catalyst Prime Initiative. Desiree also writes for the Nerds of Color and Women Write About Comics. Logan Dalton, say hello. Hey guys. Hey, sorry. <laughs> and okay, so Logan <laughs> writes about comics and TV shows for sites like Graphic Policy and Nerds on the Rocks. He once interviewed a vampire, and he lives in the South. Veronique Emma Habois is a fiercely queer trans woman from the wilds of Canada, most recently spotted in the Pacific Northwest, contributor at Comicosity, Women Write About Comics, and London Graphic Novel Network, consultant on Bitch Planet, published by DC slash IDW in Love is Love with Alejandra Gutierrez. Say hi, Emma. Hello. Emma has not been with us for a while, so this is like a reunion of um, graphic policy favorites. So thank you guys for joining us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah and um, it's, it's also a, a reunion for me and Logan because we had we're two thirds of, of another podcast that's been dormant for quite a while now. So it's a very auspicious occasion. Yeah, that's the uh, yeah, return of Pantheon, as it were. So um, one of the things I also wanted to explain for our listeners that that the, the statement of like what is the state of LGBTQ comics could mean a few things. It could mean people generally, sad to say, the first thing they think about air like the characters on the page like what is the state of lgbtq characters in comics and that's definitely relevant but that's definitely not the focus i mean we do want to talk about that but i also really want to talk about lgbtq creators writers editors publishers um and and uh, lgbtq critics like the folks on this podcast and that it's not just a question of characters on the page but really folks in the industry um, reading and writing and making comics happen. 
Uh, and especially right now, we've got a lot of LGBTQA characters who are written by straight people. So, yeah. Well, certainly, I think that the biggest news really in LGBTQ, I, I don't want to make it a competition, but in the LGBTQ mm-hmm. comics of the year really was the release of the Love is Love anthology. What a huge hit that was, how much money that raised. Um, and, of course, we have one of the contributors on this particular podcast. But I think that um, I wasn't surprised that it was so successful in the slightest. I, I was sort of surprised that other people are being surprised. But, um but yeah, I mean, if you want to just talk real quickly, Emma, about how that came together for folks who might not know. Um, well, the first thing I do want to say is, like, you, you were talking about, um, you know, charities and, and whatnot. And the, the biggest thing uh, about the anthology is that it's, like, the, the, the money from the sales is 100% being dispersed to, um, you know, the families and the states of the victims, right? Um, to mm-hmm. rebuild those communities directly, so it's uh, so it's really important that it didn't go to just one generic national organization or whatnot. That um, everybody involved was like, we need to center the community that this, um, you know, uh, that this happened to, and then it went directly mm-hmm. back to them. Um, but how it uh, how it all started, um, I, I wasn't brought on until a bit later, um, but the initial was an email from Mark Andreco. Um, who, um, like, he sent out, like, just a really raw, passion, upset email in the moment that said, you know, we have to respond to this somehow. We have to do what it is that we do, um, you know, as, as comics creators to stand against this kind of thing. Um, and it, and the, the thing is, is that, you know, he's in a position in his career where he can email, you know, people at, at DC and IDW almost as far as up the, the chain as he wants to, and it's going to get traction. And that's amazing, you know, that his first thought was, you know, this is what we can do, right? That, that we have a way to respond to this and let's, you know, respond to this with art and let's get people together to do this, you know, and the thing was just written all in caps. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, but vulnerable statement. He just let loose. Um, and a, a lot of things in comics these days happen like this because, um, Logan, I don't think you were there for that episode, but we got a chance to talk to the editors behind the Artists Against Police Brutality Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That anthology. was one of the best ones. Yeah. You get nominated for Eisner. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they started in a very similar way where the, the guys at Rosanthium, um, I think I'm pronouncing the name right, uh, the, the publisher that did it, um, it was when um, the, uh, the cop who killed uh, Eric Garner was was let off on the, um, what do you call the grand jury limo. He'd called up, you know, the other two editors and just an expletive late phone call that said, we have to do something. We have to respond to this. Um, and so, you know, seeing, you know, Andreco's email when it was forwarded to me, uh, I thought of that immediately. And I was thinking, you know, it's so great that as brutal as these things are, this is our response that we know we can respond to these things in art and, and, and to use comics as a community um, to respond to these things. So it was, I mean, and, and it's been a tough thing for me to think about this whole time because, you know, Alejandra Effie is her nickname is my creative partner, best friend. Um, and I like, this was our first published comic book work together. And we had, you know, uh, we had a trajectory for ourselves planned that it was like somewhere along the way, we're going to get our foot in the door 
with a one, two, three, four, five page backup, right? Um, we were thinking it was going to come in maybe an Adventure Time comic or something like that, right? But we knew that someone was going to give us a chance to show that we could do in a couple pages and we would build on it. Um, and this was absolutely not what we expected for it to be. Um, and it's, it's an intense thing to realize that you, you get an opportunity to show your stuff um, when it's tied to something as, as brutal and vicious as this. Um, you know, and it's, I think it's um, thinking system, like on a systematic scale, it, it does suck that it took something like this to mm-hmm. create such a broad spectrum of, of perspectives on queer identity and community and how that intersects with commercial artwork and capital controlled spaces like nightclubs and, you know, and how they can become uh, a source of community shares and would, you know, um, it, it's, it's a really, it, it's a tough thing to think about, um, you know, especially cause I was, I remember when I found out about it, it was on Twitter, I guess, like, like I find out about everything, but it was, you know, it was like two o'clock in the morning or something here. Um, and, you know, it was saying, well, you know, police are responding to a shooting in Orlando and we're just so, I guess, inured to the, to these mass shootings that it was like, you're kind of like, okay, you don't really know what it means yet, but the, but, you know, shootings are so common that it's sort of like, you know, um, and they're, they're responding to a shooting at a, at a you know, at, at a gay club. And that was about all I knew. So I, I went to bed thinking, damn, you know, that, that sucks, but I didn't really understand the scope of it. And then you're just so numb to the scale of violence mm-hmm. that happens every day. Um, and, you know, I, I woke up in the morning and all of a sudden it's, it's the biggest mass shooting, you know, uh, of, of that kind, not tied to any kind of, you know, a, a military action in the States. And it's just this massive thing. And, you know, like I, at the time had connections to the community. I mean, like Effie was, she was still, I know she wasn't in Florida, but um, she had been living in, you know, in in Miami and and the Tampa area and her sister who's trans as well was. And I was just like, you know, this is crazy. Like, you know, I needed to know where her and her sister were right away um, and stuff. And you just kind of realized that how, you know, the broader impact of these things. So to me, I don't know, like my career is always going to be tied to this. Um, and that's, that's a, a heavy fact and heavy responsibility, but it's also, you know, not for me to take the lead on because it wasn't my part of the community, geographically or not, that was specifically targeted by it. So you, it's, it's an intense thing, um, but I'm, I'm really glad to, uh, to have been a part of it um, and that we were one of the last New York Times bestselling graphic novels because that metric doesn't exist anymore. Um, right, right. That's gone. Um, and we so were nomin- nominated for an Eisner. Like, it's, you know, um, it's everything you could you could ever ask for to happen in comics, but it, it started from is rooted in the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to, at one time, the LBGTQI community in the United States. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I I thought that the um that fire in uh what's it the upside the upstairs bar fire had had more victims but it didn't but yeah I I have to say I loved your comic mm. I loved your comic so much I, and I thought that it was a really good thing to show people who don't understand the significance of LGBTQ nightclubs in like people's like lives and well being so I urge everyone to check out Love Is Love if you haven't yet definitely I think the biggest story of the year um. Well, you know, each one of you guys is on here because you have a specific perspective of, like, what is happening in the comics world. And I know Desiree both works for a comics publisher but also sells comics at a comic shop. So I was really interested in getting Desiree's thoughts about, like, what, what is the state of LGBTQ a comics um, from a retail standpoint of, like, you know, when you're talking to customers, what are they coming in? What are they asking for? Who are the people that are in that space? That kind of stuff. What are you hearing? Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to give me a minute. The pole shooting is a uh, is still really hard to think about. Um, Do you want to speak about that? That's totally fine. Go ahead. Um. Well, I mean, I I I live like two hours from where it happened. Um, oh wow. And yeah, and uh, <laughs> you know where I live, there's not a large community. Um. You know for for LGBTQ, you know, individuals, let alone ones for, you know, Latins, Latinx, you know, individuals like myself. Um, you know, so it was something, it was a club I heard about, you know, and I always wanted to go, you know, to, to you know, a queer nightclub and, like, be a part of the community, and I've, I've never gotten that chance. And uh, when it happened, I don't even remember really what I was doing, I just remember I was I was home. I was at my apartment, and I was alone. And I heard about it. Um, I probably saw it on on Twitter, on Facebook. You know, like hundreds of you know thousands of other people. And uh, and my heart just stopped. And I just kind of sat down and started to cry. Um, and today was equally just um, you know because it's been a year and the news coverage didn't help because <laughs> mm. it didn't focus on the fact that it was mostly Latinx people. It didn't focus mostly on the fact that it was, you know, black and brown individuals. It didn't focus on the fact that most of them were Puerto Rican. Um, it kind of erased us from the entire narrative and our part in the tragedy, you know, and it's frustrating and really disheartening because we're already so erased from the narrative um, you know, when we talk about representation in general, you know, comics or otherwise, you don't see a lot in the way of uh, of Latin of Latinx, you know, queer characters. There's Renee Montoya, whom I love. <laughs> um, you know, I, I adore her bits and pieces, but where the heck is she right now? You know, like and America mm-hmm. Chavez, like I adore her too, but. What's the way Marvel Comics be canceling titles left and right? Who knows how long she's going to be around with her solo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I appreciate what the Love is Love anthology did and, and what it stands for. I don't like talking about it as much because I feel like such a killjoy because to me it kind of contributed to a little bit of, it, you know, erasing us from the narrative. Like I wish they had included more Latinx creators. Um, I thought it kind of accidentally highlighted that there aren't a lot of black and brown 
you know, queer characters in comics, you know, from IEW or DC. And that's a problem, <laughs> you know, like it was our tragedy, especially. And I felt like we just were kind of erased from it. And, you know, to me, that was, that's just been a consistent and ongoing problem. Um, you know, when God, I Spotify had a post playlist today, I had Katy Perry on it. Ugh. Why? Why? Disgusting. Why would Katy so Perry? Disgusting. Oh my God! It, it was, and then it had "Born This Way" on it from Lady Gaga, which I have a problem with because she describes Latinx people as chola, and that's, oh, yeah. not, that's not a that's 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 insulting. <laughs> like, you know, so it it kind of shows that there's still a huge discussion we need to have, um, you know, and there's still a huge lack of, you know, aware of, I don't know if awareness is the right word, but, you know, that you have to bring in race and ethnicity into this conversation, you know, mm-hmm. like it sucks. Nobody likes talking about it. I can tell because I, I got into an argument with a classmate once. Um, that was fun. Uh, so, but it's, you can't erase it, you know, like it was a targeted attack and you can't erase the fact that, you know, race and ethnicity was a part of it along with, you know, queer identity. Like these are intersectional things and they need to be acknowledged. So, um, but yeah, that's, (laughs) that's, that's my two little bits. um, No, it's incredibly important. I mean, I was also just felt like there was a lot of heterosexual creators in it as well. Um, you know, there's a question of who gets to tell these stories and has the ability to have access to have things made. But I, that, that's yeah, pretty I disgusting I, about the Spotify. Yeah, and it, it's not it's not like just with the anthology. It's like overall, you know, and I think yeah. the anthology was a great showcasing. I, I, you know, it went to a great cause. Like, I fully respect everybody who worked on it, um, you know, and it, like I, I, it was done with the right mindset. So unintentionally or not, I think it might have contributed to a couple harmful things, but you know nothing's perfect, so I can't mm-hmm. knock it for that or anything. So you know I'm I'm glad that people are still talking about this. Um, I'm glad that you know race and ethnicity are becoming more of a prominent part of the conversation regarding it and regarding you know queer up in general because it's like I said it's just it's important. Um, so but yeah. Um, so what was your original question for me, Elena? <laughs> Oh, Ilana, um, no, that's, that's, I, I appreciate you adding that, absolutely, and I totally forgot anywhere in Florida, of all places, my God. Yeah. Um, this was sort of like, what are the, because you're in a comic book store talking with LGBTQ comics fans and other folks who might be interested in LGBTQ comics all the time, sort of to get your perspective on what people were talking about, what people's concerns were, what people are interested in, in, in discussing with respect to those comics, what, what are you selling a lot of? you know, the works, just sort of the, the, the front line from the comic store perspective on the state of LGBTQIA um, comics. You know, you know how there's that stereotype that Wednesday warriors are kind of like all straight white guys? It's kind of <laughs> what I deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's, there's not a lot of people coming up to me and being like, you know, hey, you know, what comics are queer characters? And it, it's unfortunate. Um, I also think it's it's just a general fear, you know, of asking such a question. Um, I do have one regular, and, you know, she's really, really, you know, passionate about it, and she wants to read books 
that, you know, features queer leads and stuff. So she ends up reading a lot of indies, you know, that I recommend her. Um, same with another woman. It's mostly women. It's mostly women that, you know, and they usually buy trades because it's easier. Um, yeah, I just ordered, like, a whole series of giant days for a young woman. Um, uh, very nice. It's like my favorite Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, what was it? Somebody, another young woman came in the other day looking for some recommendations. I was like, Kim and Kim is really fun. Like, I really like that one. <laughs> you know, I just bought the first mm-hmm. trade for that. Um, you know, other times, like, if people are like, you know, hey, I'm just just curious and just looking for recommendations or whatever, you know, I'll be like, yeah, but they only want superheroes and, you, and they only want DC Marvel. I'm like, well, you know, Midnighter and Apollo is really cool. Like, you should totally look at this book. <laughs> oh, um, and then, like, if parents come in and they have, like, a lot of, like, teenage girls or boys or stuff, so they don't want, like, the kid-kid comics, like Adventure Time, so they want something a little more mature. You know, I'm like, well, Gem and the Holograms is a ton of fun. Um, Lumberjanes is a great time. You know, so I, unfortunately, I don't get a lot of people asking directly because North Florida is kind of conservative. Like, they want to pretend they're not conservative, but they're totally conservative. Um, so I don't get a lot of those questions. So I do kind of just, you know, I just, I recommend people these titles because I know they're good. And also because mm-hmm. I know that there's, legitimate representation within these books so like and then i'll tell people about books that i'm reading because guys really want to listen to me talk for some reason at the shop like (laughs) um you know so i'll be like yeah constantine the dcu one yeah that was amazing like you totally get that book we have a trade for it buy them they're like 16.99 i don't get commissioned by the way at my job just (laughs) saying But yeah, Constantine, I think, you know, being finally like written by or co written, I should say, by a bisexual man, uh, definitely made it. Oh man, that, that run that was, was I missed it. Topic. Um mm-hmm. I I didn't like that kept, kept up with the the recent stuff. It's like a lot more British a lot of British politics and culture, which I think is cool, but like his bisexual I think they the guy mentioned it in like rebirth or issue one and it just hasn't really been a thing. But it was like he had, like, a male love interest in James Kenyon and Ming Doyle's run, and that was so nice. Mm-hmm. And he still had, like, the, the horror, the horror, like, amazing horror art from Molly Rosmo. But, um, and then, like, Eric Donovan came in. He's on uh, Quarantines Ago, um, which is another, like, queer-like book. Um, has a has a trans um, girl as, like, one of the main characters. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a great little book. DCU, like, was awesome for queer characters. And, like, I like Rebirth, too, but DCU was just like that two, like I don't know, one two year, the golden period, and then they had the well, you know, I think kind of appeal one of the really, warriors. I mean, I think one of the under under discussed stories in terms of DC is just how big of a phenomenon Bombshells is. I mean, it's really been at least not maybe not from the art, but from a writing standpoint, like a consistent artistic vision from Marguerite Bennett, who I just think is tremendous, really one of the, the best young people in the field, in my opinion. And she's building an alternate reality DC universe that is full of queer women and uh, are, and everyone's just kicking Nazis asses. Like it is, I, I don't recall who first put it this way, but like it is like the antidote to, you know, Nazi cap America is like actual queer women 
written by a queer woman like kicking Nazis asses in stories that have, you know, lots and lots and lots of female characters of different orientations and races, et cetera, et cetera. And she's allowed to just do it because it's not canon, right? It's just, but she's really building his own canon. And I'm curious, like, there's going to be some generation of kids who are reading this now, or more like, you know, tweens who are reading it now, who, for whom, like, this is going to be their DC comics. It's, you know, their, their DC comics is always going to be one where, Diana, you know, Diana and Mira, you know, Wonder Woman and Aquawoman were each other's first kisses. Like, that's just going to be their truth. Um, I'm kind of ambivalent about that series, to be honest. Um, because I mean, like there, there's a lot of great stuff in it. Like the, the first, like what the first two pages are basically Kate Kane preventing Batman from even existing in that continuity. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I love that. like literally the first page of, of bombshells is Kate stopping the murder of, um, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And there's this little, Bruce Wayne and it was Marguerite Sauvage that drew it in this like the, you know the MGM logo with the, the lion you know it was this inset mm-hmm. but it was like little Bruce Wayne was like wow she's so cool so you know um, Kate is Bruce's hero and then there's continuity and he's a lot younger than she is um, so it's a funny reversal because if you look at the, the Rucka Williams um, original origin was you know she was going to get mugged by this guy that she could beat up. And then Batman shows up and kicks his ass. And she's like, wait a minute, I can do this too. So it's this great mm-hmm. little version. And there's a lot of fun stuff. Like, you know, the, the Mira uh, Wonder Woman thing was great. And, you know, the thing is, it seems so obvious that for a while I forgot where it actually came from. Um, you know, cause it, it, it's, it's such a, an elegant response to that. Cause um, I was going to quote a bit of this interview later, but um uh, Phil Jimenez did a um, uh, was interviewed by Joe Illich um, in like I think 2013 2014, um, and they were talking about his Wonder Woman run, um, and and you know or maybe may, it might have been a different interview I'm not sure but it was definitely with Jimenez but um, and he was talking about the difficulty of you know what do you do with Wonder Woman as far as her romantic interests and whatnot you know growing up as the only kid there um and he talked when he said yeah you know he says that it was it was a challenge to be like well how do you approach that um in that instance and the mirror idea just obliterates that it's like well you know it's an island <laughs> you know there's people who live underwater that, that roam around so, <laughs> oh my god so it's obvious but on on the other hand bombshells really exposed the limitations in in a really clear way of cisgender writers trying to write trans characters and kind of how that gets responded to. And there is nothing, you know, quote unquote, hashtag problematic or bigoted or whatever, but you, you have that sequence with the bombshells version of Elysia Yo, and she's sitting there explaining to I camera who was, I think it was probably Harper. It could have been, I don't know, Cassandra oh. stepping, but there's that, that secondary group of, of bat related characters who pick up the slack when Kate goes off to fight the war. And she's explaining, you know, this is a different way of looking at the, the old, um, that old ridiculous metaphor, the man trapped in one's body. And it's like, I mean, sure. It's, it's cool to see a more enlightened narrative coming out of it, but it's also number one, you know, a assist writer kind of bogarting, a construction of that experience from trans theorists 
unsighted, right? And that's not original thought. And the other thing is that it's still kind of like you're still centering cis people's understanding of, of trans characters as the purpose for the trans character to be there. Um, you know, it, it, it's cool to have Lizia in that gang and for them to be like, sure, there's a, uh, you know, there's a trans character in 1940s New York or whatever um, before really, um, you know, trans womanhood hit the mainstream, which was maybe less than a decade later. Um, but it was surely before. So it's, it's nice to be a pock rifle and play with those things. But to me, it, it really kind of showed the limitations where, you know, in these spaces where you can have a million other um, cis queer characters. I mean, like there's a big romance between Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in that comic. Um, Kate is there, obviously. Diana is actually, is actually presented as, you know, being subject to same gender desire, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, heck, even Mira is, and I think that's probably the first time that she was portrayed that way. It's great, Mm -hmm. but they can exist unapologetically and without the need to explain their existence. Elysia can't. So, you know, it's it's ambivalent to me for that reason. Well, there's definitely a huge dearth of, like, trans creators and artists giving a chance to tell their own stories within their, at, like, a paid platform. I mean... There's a huge explosion of LGBTQ web comics, and a lot of those are by trans people. I actually tweeted out a list earlier that Alexa Sergio had put together of um, trans web comics, by, by and large, uh, that they had put together to, that is, you know, worth checking out. But um, it seems like so many of the trans comics that people talk about, like there's definitely a few folks who have really broken through and are some of the hottest names in comics right now like Magdalene Visaggio, like Sophie Campbell. Um, but then there's just everybody else is doing it on the web. And lots of them are finding really great success that way, but it's definitely like there is barriers. Like that is why it's happening this way, you know? And there's still so many like cis het white men, worst of all, who think that they have something useful to say about trans experience and they really don't. Oh, so, yeah, you thank know, you for bringing that up. Yeah. But on, on the flip side of that, you know, I don't want to say that especially male creators can't or haven't. Like, that's one thing that I do want to kind of make clear. I don't want to be not all men about it. But, um, you know, I mean, at the same time, you look at what, what Tim Seeley and Marley Zarcone did on Effigy. Um, and that was an incredible little series. And it, and it tackled harsh stuff, but it did it in a way where you – you're like, this is, you know, this character is full agency over the situation. And you can tell they're not mining it um, for pity or whatever. So it's possible. And that to me is what makes it so annoying or frustrating when these, um, you know, intentionally bigoted or just kind of cruel or unthinking portrayals come around. It's just like, well, we've got the evidence that it's possible. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, you, you can't do this. Oh, well, we didn't know any better. Or how should, how could we have known? Come on. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, so it's it's useful to have those examples to say, well, you know, if, if 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 X, Y, and Z can do it, why the hell couldn't you, right? Well, that's sort of why there was that gap. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like Magdalene Visaggio's way of describing the difference between, like, yes, people who aren't trans should write trans characters because trans people exist. I mean, do your freaking homework, but, like, write about us. But don't write a story about being trans because, like, that's not your story to tell. And I, I thought that her way of 
sort of breaking that down made sense to me. Not that I'm not trans, but along the axis of identity that that are that I am, mm-hmm. that that made sense, you know, um, to me at least. Um, I'm going to say I 80 to 90 percent agree with what she said there, um, because like you can again, I'll I'll use effigy as as a point to contrast two different comics here. Um, and they would be, uh, God, what was the other one I was going to use here? Um, obviously, the one is, is the one that everybody's talking about, the Howard Chaikin thing. Um, <laughs> I guess we yeah. might as well. well. I thought you were going to mention Alters, which is the other yes, one. Yes, that's the other one I was, yeah, that is the other one I was trying to Oh, I love like Alters thinks it's helping and it isn't, which is a different category than Howard Chaikin, who's just like, fuck you and hates everyone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily frame it that way, but um, the whole thing is like the, the one thing that, that that's a hundred percent missing. That's always, always missing um, in these things um, is that, well, sorry, it's almost always missing. The, the two comics that really, really got this right that nobody else has really tried to touch as far as the creators is the invisibles and Promethea. Um, and, and for all the, the other errors that those comics may have made, um, they understood the point that that being trans does come with a positive affinity, uh, sorry, epiphany. And it's more than just positive. It, it's an ecstatic moment of, of confirmation of, yes, this is, this is what makes sense to me. This is who I am, you know? Um, and that uh, asserting for trans women a feminine identity is like, it's a joyous moment, you know? Um, and they don't get that. And this is the thing that a lot of these counter critiques miss when people are caping for junk like that arc of the Sandman. They're saying, well, this is realistic. These are what the arguments are like. And these comics, they just focus on the darkest, cruelest um, aspects of our identities and experiences um, and mine them for pity or mine them for some kind of weird boner. Uh, without looking at, well, what are the ecstatic ends, ends of these things? What are the, the positive ends of these things? What is, is so beautiful and life-affirming about this coming out process, right? Um, and so you have a comic like Alters that wants to mine this, this gothic pretense of, of Chalice only having this nonverbal brother of hers to confide in, and that there's this ticking time bomb that is literally her body changing as she's taking hormones. Um, and so it sounds like this great drama filled, like this great melodrama. But the thing is, is that this is all anybody wants to talk about the dark, the Gothic, the pity, the violence, um, you know, without looking at the ecstasy of this. And you, and it just paints this picture of just bleak misery. Um, and it's, it's not true. I mean, Jesus, do you think that any of us would, would 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 live the lives that we that we do and put up with the shit that we do if there's no upshot to this? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You people are nuts. You know, it's and they don't even think of this. It's clear that that you know that the the majority of creators, even the 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 ones who are thinking or who are you know, what's the word? Coming at it with with good intentions, it doesn't occur to them because you just don't see it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, even in that, in that example with Elysia, she's not talking about the ecstasy of self-awareness. She's still talking about this, about dysphoria, about a disconnect, 
um, about this, this weird Cartesian, um, you know, duality that, 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 that we somehow embody. And it's just kind of like, that's not even half the equation. Right. Um, and, and so it's ridiculous because, I mean, Chaykin can do what he wants. I don't care. He doesn't, he's not someone who moves that many copies. He's not someone a lot of people know what he is, what he does. But when you say that you're going to put a rainbow flag on a cover and you're going to be donating the, the proceeds of the human rights campaign, then there's kind of an implicit understanding that what you're putting out there in that comic is going to be at least sympathetic to um, the people it's meant to be benefiting. You know, yeah, that's, the open... that's, that's the big thing that's happened is we've seen a number of people write on Twitter, for example, that they right. did not know that this was what was going to be in the comic. They bought it because yeah. it had the rainbow flag on it, like all of that, and that they were really, really disgusted when they found out because they don't know. Uh, and, and just in general, I mean, this is the second time that we've seen, specifically right around Pride, you know, image Literally wrapping during itself Pride, in yeah. a rainbow flag while, like, and, like, selling, basically, like, selling that mm. while simultaneously not actually having that many LGBTQ creators in their roster um, and not, like, and, and, and running stories like, like his under a, a rainbow flag, which is just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, I just they, don't they, get the whole... Oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the key the key thing is that um, there isn't a recognition of how traumatic those scenarios are to witness in comics and fiction, especially when you're not prepared for them. Um, you know, I mean, and I didn't know that that was going to happen when I read that comic either. I knew that Chaykin had some new thing out, and I only saw, because I got the review copy, I had completely forgotten initially that it had the pride variant. Um, and I just, just saw the regular. We need to explain, I think what, 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 what this comic is just because we shouldn't assume that people have known it. Basically he's a, has a new indie yeah. comic and there's a trans panic scene where a character who's the protagonist. Um, oh no. Oh my gosh. I didn't know she was, but you know, she was trans and now we're going to all like have a huge violent scene and that is like an actual social phenomenon that gets written off in courts of law as an acceptable excuse to kill people. So that, um, well, the presentation is, is, is a bit, is even more fraught than that because the whole thing is that, um, it, it really kind of presents a situation as if this woman had entered into a dangerous situation, knowing it and failed to disclose you know, her genitalia, um, which is, which is part of that whole deceiver thing that we somehow bring these trans panic responses on because, you know, she's narrating this whole thing, which is, you know, Oh, well, we had this gentleman's agreement, you know, I made the regular excuses like I'm having my period and so on and so forth, but they, they had to know that I have a dick and blah, blah, blah. Um, just kind of talking about these really blah terms when she's in this, this sexual situation with, with three men, um, you know, and one of them goes, goes to fondle her crotch and figures out the situation and, like, attempts to shoot her. I mean, and this is, like, uh, you know, but this is the thing. He can play, Chaykin can play as goofily as he wants with this kind of stuff because he doesn't understand the trauma that it represents, right? Um, 
and, and that, you know, maybe during pride month, we don't necessarily want everything to be reminders of the darkest aspects of our lives. Like, I mean, I fully identify with that, with that scene in the first episode of Sense8 where they're like, you know, pride should have a bit of a funereal quality to it, you know, that it shouldn't all be just corporate floats and, and, and drinking in this, that, that we should remember, you know, the AIDS crisis um, and, and other, you know, moments that we should have things like Angels of America and whatnot. Um, and that we should keep them at the forefront of our minds, but this is not the way to mm-hmm. achieve that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I just generally like this is all stuff that happens because there aren't enough LGBTQ people, and this in this case specifically trans people in the positions of power and decision-making roles in the industry. We actually lost. I just, I just don't understand what's what's going on in Image because like. They they can because they're like creator owned they can they always can pass the buck and like they I don't the only thing they did with Airboy was like getting rid of the prize flag and I just wish someone image would like someone like I don't know like Eric Stevenson or one of the founders or whatever would like make a statement about this but I mean because it's like they're contracted out I guess they they can't or they they kind of hide behind that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but this is the point where they're pinned and they can't pull an airboy and say, well, this is all our creative freedom. We let our people do our thing because they put that flag on Chaikin's comic. So the the contradiction that was inherent in what happened in 2015 is far more heightened now because someone had to look at this and say, this is a comic that's appropriate to put a mm-hmm. rainbow flag on. So <laughs> it, the, the fundamental problem isn't that Howard Chaikin decided to do another insensitive portrayal of trans women. He's done it many, many times. He has a, a long history of this. Um, yeah. And, and so the question is, you know, in, in knowing his long history, why is that? I mean, someone on Twitter was talking about how, you know, they had overheard a conversation where Chaikin had said, you know, no woman should ever have a dick recently. Um, and, oh, and the person, right. and I, I've, I've, I've had confirmed by the person that he was talking to that it happened. Um, and it's a very reputable person. So I, people know about this dude. There's no way that like no one who would want to publish Howard Chaikin would not have read American flag or black kiss. That's not going to happen. Right. They knew who, who, who and what this guy is and what he does and why it might be a bad idea to, to put a rainbow flag on a Howard Chaikin comic. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, for all the cosigns. I, I do want to maybe take a moment to talk about the opposite side of the world hmm. from that, which would be the Beyond Anthology and the new second, second Beyond Anthology, which is finishing its Kickstarter right now, I believe. Um, Beyond is a queer sci fi and fantasy comics anthology that was put together. Um, by, edited by C.R. Monster, and I know Steens was involved, and just basically like all of these amazing folks working in like people who you would know also on Twitter. If <laughs> if you're someone who uses comic <laughs> Twitter, you'll know these folks from comic <laughs> Twitter. You would know. Um, exactly. I mean, really, like, right? Like, you know, decided like, okay, we're doing it for ourselves. We're going to do a Kickstarter. We're going to make a queer comic sci-fi anthology, and thing is like big and it's very affordable 
Um, and they're going into their second their second anthology fundraiser. I, think, I mean, I'm sure they've smashed whatever expectation they had and have exceeded it right now. But um, but I don't know. I mean, did folks have a chance? Did, did, I mean, I'm curious. Like, do you folks see folks talking about it? Did, I mean, Desiree, did you guys get any I, copies of it at all in the store? I don't even. I know that I got it from my store, but my comic store is staffed by like. I don't know, maybe a quarter of the people who work at my comic store are LGBTQ. So we we have a lot of good um, queer comics involved. Yeah, for something like like that, which I mean, I, I supported the Kickstarter. Um, I'm super excited for it. Like you know, I can't wait to get my copy. But for something like that, my like my comic shop will definitely not order it unless somebody specifically asks for it. Like. Um, there's the new Legend of Korra Turf Wars series. Um, my, I mean, my bosses see it, like it's on the Diamond forums, but if nobody asks for it, they're not going to order it because they don't, they don't know what it is. You know, they don't know if they can sell mm-hmm. it. The pre-order system is so broken that unless you can guarantee that you're going to sell at least part of your stock, it's just too much of a risk to get anything. Um, so, like, I know that, like, my comic shop, like, I could, I could ask for it, you know, and then we'd order it, but we'd probably only order one copy for me and then maybe two copies for the shelf, maybe, if not, you know, because usually when we order those smaller publisher comics, we only order two, two or three extras, you know, and if they go off the shelf, that's great, you know, but if they're not, like, we're stuck with them and then they go into the back issue boxes and they pretty much disappear, which happens with a lot of comics, like, the pre-order system is just, it's... It, it hurts comics, and it hurts comic shops. Honestly, it mm-hmm. does. You know, because I, I could give away previews, preview books all the time. I, mean, I do it like they're candy, you know, but we only order maybe 25 from Diamond, you know, so that's only 25 people, tops, if I give away all of them, that get preview magazines. And that's if they go through them and they look at these books and they decide to put them on their pool, do they even get pre-ordered? Like, unfortunately, my, like, my comic shop, I can't speak for others, but fortunately, like, I know we're always going to order, like, Spider-Man. We're always going to order Superman. We might not order as many copies as we started out. Like, when Marvel started printing, like, 16 Deadpool titles, we stopped ordering a lot of Deadpool. We cut down our Deadpool. But we still order at least maybe 10 copies of Deadpool because 10 copies are at least more likely to sell, you know, even if they're the stupid $10 ones. Like... <laughs> it's just and it, it it sucks. You know, like it, it does suck because these books are these books are great. You know, like they're doing things that you don't see. You know, they're doing things that need to be seen. And there's it's so much harder for them to get to wider audiences because the system for direct market is so broken. Um, you know, so you have to do a lot of marketing. You have to do a lot of pushing, and then you have to explain how the system works to people. Like. Uh, I mean, if a new person comes in, I have to break down the pre-order system. Like that's that's an hour conversation right there, because they're gonna be like, I had someone come in and they asked me for Miss Marvel, and I was like, which one? And she's like, the newest one. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so you mean like Kamala Khan? And they're like, yeah, that one. And I'm like, okay, well, what are you looking for? And they're like, the number one. Like which one? <laughs> right, it's Secret Wars. Yeah, like, and then you have to go into the, you have to go into the events, and you have to go into the retcons, and then by the end of the conversation, they're just like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm good, like, 
unless you offer them trades, you know, because trades are easier. But even then, trades get interrupted, and it's like, what's the point? So that's why I usually recommend indies to people. Like, so yeah, you know, what are some of the top indies that you recommend for folks in terms of LGBTQ creators and, and, and talent and stuff like that? Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> See, when you ask me questions like this, I always want to be at the shop because I have to, like, visualize in my head. Well, um, the stuff, like, live from the comic store sometime. That actually would be kind of amazing. My bosses would totally be down for that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, I'll say for me, like, one of the issues with anthologies is, of course, like, you're just not going to like all the stories in it. But because the price point for Beyond is so reasonable, even if you only like, like, half of the stuff in it, you're still coming out ahead. So... Um, 18 stories by 26 creators, and that's that's the first one. I don't have the statistics open for the second anthology yet, but I think that helps people make a gamble on it. But the thing is, like, short form is not short form comics is really its own art, as I'm sure all of you guys can attest to. And even though I can say like 50% of the stuff in this book, at least I'm sure I, 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 I'm more than 50% is like really cool. And I like it. Like, you know, we have the hunger for like a continuing series. So. Island is really yeah, I was in like, too. Go ahead, Logan. Yeah, I wasn't like super aware. I remember seeing the Kickstarter and like when it got nominated for an Eisner, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like, like anthology, like, like I really like anthologies. Like the Island anthology is super cool, and but it's it's really hard. Like I don't know to. I just like I've I've read like read on Twitter people like they don't sell as much and but like it's a really cool idea because you get like all these cool creators and then you can like kind of go into their like back. It's like a great way to like introduce you to new creators without mm-hmm. like um, spending as much money. But I just I don't know they like. I guess I just don't see like the mentioned as much, the conversations and stuff, and yeah, it's kind of sad. Like, cause this is some total like, I mean, genre stories of queer characters. Like, it's so awesome. Um, but I mean, yeah. Well, I'll say like the first time I saw um, Oh Human Star with by Blue Delacroix, um, which is a sci-fi robot queer and gay characters in the story um, and trans uh, was in the anthology. But um, so it was at least, you know, that was a taste of something which you can like have a larger piece of elsewhere. I, I also actually, I don't want to forget, you know, this is also the year, and this is quite a random segue. This is also mm-hmm. the year where Jughead became officially canonically recognized as ace. Now, I did not read Archie comics as a kid because I have always just read superhero comics. <laughs> but I know that that's been the headcanon for so many fans. Um, and <laughs> then to have Chip Zdarsky acknowledge that in the comic was really big. But then the TV show, of course, did quite the opposite. Uh, I definitely think that that was one of the big stories of the year, though, is having a, a really a, a character with like legacy that is just decades and decades long being established as asexual and, you know, when a lot of folks don't even know what that means is, is pretty big deal. Even if it is more so in the Archie comic that's, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the, that particular Jughead comic by um, 
Chips Zdarsky and Erica Henderson probably does skew fairly young, in fact, as well. So that is extra cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but the thing is now, like, I, like, really like following the art. I'm, like, huge, like, huge sucker for the Archie comics. They're, like, my, like, chill time. But, like, I read the latest Jughead, um, Mark Wade took over. And <laughs> the whole, of course, the whole issue, like, the art's still good. But, like, the whole issue is about, like, Jughead getting pursued by all the women in Riverdale. And it's, like, it's, like, instead of, like, you know, trying to tell, like, a quirky kind of story, it's just, like, He's just, like, spit on, like, all of, like, what Ryan Norris and Zadarsky and Henderson had done. And, like, and it's basically, you like... Yeah, you literally just broke my heart. Like, I did oh, not I'm know so he took over the... Yeah, because I collected in trades. Like, I have the first trade, and I, I oh, need to yeah. get the Ryan North one because I was reading the oh, single. Oh, Ryan North slays. It's, I think it might even be better I, than the Zadarsky stuff. Yeah, I loved He's his. So funny. I loved the whole thing with like him and with Jughead and Sabrina too, because I thought it was so oh, yeah. nicely done. Like you it know, and it kind of sounds like the great. opposite of what you're describing right now, because yeah, Sabrina so was bad. into Actually, Jughead, I, I... but like the way they handled it was very self-aware. Like you know, he had to just tell her he's like, I don't, I don't have those feelings. I don't experience those feelings, and she was cool with it. Like it was a very friendship-building moment. You know, and it didn't villainize Sabrina, and it didn't villainize Jughead. It didn't make it a big thing either, you know? Like, yeah, and what? what? But now there's a bunch of women cheat. What in the right deal, Neil? It's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, who I freaking love Josie and the Pussycats. I mean, I love their ongoing, are, like, spending the entire issue running and singing songs about Jughead. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mark Wade. Oh, my God, dude. Like, can this guy, like, leave Archie, please? Like, <laughs> like I love, I freaking love Archie. Like those are those are like solid books, and like what, like all of them, like the art is is on point. But like he just needs to leave. Maybe just not write teenagers anymore, and maybe only work with Tommy. Hashtag world challengers. Only work on what was that? Chris Tommy, because I mean that's like those are like. His Daredevil and Black Widow stuff. Oh, his stuff with Chris Sam. Yeah, sorry, I didn't hear that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce his um, name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, think, I, I think the thing with Jughead is that there's still, in the mainstream, there's still such a, a kind of lack of, I guess, awareness of what all asexuality can encompass in terms of how people express it and, and kind of where they fall along it, like the pe- people who, you know, um, I identify as such and related things that it, it, it kind of gets fraught in conversations like these, because like um, what Zdarsky did, it was, it was a very hard, asexual, aromantic um, kind of an interpretation of it, which is totally fine. And, and it definitely represents uh, some people uh, who knows what the breakdown is. Cause it's not like, you know, there's, there's, robust I guess polling or whatnot on people where they fall along that um, but there there was I mean I've read a lot of Jug- Jughead comics over the years more than I realized because I <laughs> didn't click with Zdarsky until Jughead um, I wasn't oh, a big yeah, fan of Captara wasn't a big fan of sex criminals or I, I, I tried like almost Kaptara everything too. he's done but yeah. it caught fire for whatever reason like his, his sensibilities and finally just came to nasty Jughead and I was like dang this is really good. Like I gave it 10 out of 10. I think I almost wrote 2000 words about this damn comic. Like for the first <laughs> I, I remember the review. I'm like, yes, Emma joined the Zadarsky 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> Groupies. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and I kind of realized how full my engagement with Archie Comics was as I was reading. So I was like, wait, why do I feel like this is so right that I have an, a real opinion about this? And I was reading Wikipedia articles and stuff. And, you know, and Jughead was always, you know, kind of uh, rebuffed romantic, um, you know, uh, what do you call them? Like overtures uh, over the years that mm-hmm. he didn't really have, he wasn't like Archie in that respect. And so there was certainly a lot to build on from that. Um, the same way as when, um, oh gosh, what is his name? Is it Obsidian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Where there were these, or, or North Star. Yeah. Where there was kind of this oh, weird pseudo canon <laughs> building up to it where it made sense to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he found a better way to, to, to out Jughead in his respect than, than what Scott Lobdell did with North Star. But, um, oh, but the thing is, is, is that. <laughs> there's kind of a range of things in terms of how that can manifest because people who identify as asexual don't necessarily not have sex or not enjoy it. Right. Um, and, and there's, there's a range there, you know, and I think we need more people who identify along that, that spectrum or that, that idea to kind of flesh that out before there can be any serious critiques because to, to jump right down and say, well, Riverdale did this and, and um, Jughead did that, I think in, in the rush to kind of affirm what Zdarsky did and have a critical eye to what they did on Riverdale, you could swallow up certain people's experiences there. Now, I mean, obviously they're not intending for Jughead to be asexual, but that doesn't necessarily mean that had they intended to, there wasn't room for what happened in Riverdale to happen, if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I, yeah. I think what I want to say is that we need more room in that discourse to get an understanding of how people who identify as ace lay along that and what the parameters are of what we're talking about, because it is so new to mainstream conversations about around gender and sexual minorities that, that the discourse can, can get swept away of all nuance even faster than conversations about bisexuality or trans issues or whatnot, because there is like no critical theory available right now. Like there's next to none. Um, and, and there's such a small body of work by the people themselves that, that we can lose a lot there. Um, because like, it, you know, there, like I, I mean, there's, there's nothing necessarily to say that an ace person wouldn't pursue a relationship like, what Betty and Jughead seem to be pursuing at the end of the season, you know? So, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't even really want to get too much in that conversation because I just don't feel like we're at a point where there's enough information from the people themselves that we can even attempt to act as proxies and do it the full justice as that critique deserves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel. I have sure. a friend who's like she's like the biggest Archie fan I know, and she's ace and loves Jughead and should have probably tried to get her on the show. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I definitely know that when I was talking with folks about like what are some of the really important ace folks in comics right now. I mean, one of the editors of of Beyond is and. That was definitely a name that I immediately was like, oh, yes, I do know them. 
um, Ted Brandt, who did a uh, Raven Pirate Princess, and uh, he's he's doing Marvel, yeah. like Unstoppable Wasp. He's 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 like him and his partner, like Rosie. Um, I forget her, Rosie Higgins. Or, Rosie like, Knight. Kind of I believe. Right? Star. Oh, Rosie yeah, Higgins. They're very good. They're very yeah, good. And also, in obviously, uh, Raven Pirate Princess yeah. is amazing. Raven Pirate Princess is like a really great comic. For, oh yeah, like, you know, all, all ages pretty much, but maybe not like super young kids, but like older kids through adults. Um, amazing fantasy adventure pirate girls love adventure <laughs> thing comic that I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, one of the other big stories I think was just when that you know coming out of um, when after not very maybe like a week after the Pulse massacre happened the hashtag queer self-love kind of came out from, I believe, oh, Dylan yeah. Marin, who's one of the folks with um, Night Vale. And, you know, Night Vale definitely has a geek-oriented fandom, but that hashtag just blew up specifically amongst comics folks. Um, I, I think that that hashtag became vastly comics folks rather than just broadly and fan community related pretty quickly, and it was definitely a venue for finding out. You know, a lot of a lot of folks came out in that tag who had to to their to to folks online. I'm sure that you know they might be out to other people in their regular lives, but came out to folks online through that hashtag. And then there also were a lot of people who I just didn't really know what flavor of queer they were who came out as bi. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many bi people in comics. <laughs> I didn't quite <laughs> yeah. realize. How many of us? Like, there's a lot of people. Well, I know they were LGBTQ of some flavor. I just didn't really know of which. And then, oh my God, all these people are bi. It was definitely an interesting <laughs> moment for me. But I thought that that was a queer self love hashtag. I actually did a whole post, sort of doing an anthology of what folks in the comics world were saying on it. But it felt really healing to me, and was a really pleasant moment within the year. Yeah, I don't I know, know if everyone cool. participated, cool. but. Yeah, I just all the, the selfies, and it was just so much love. And I'm going to go back and read that article now. <laughs> you can get buy flags at Target now at select locations, apparently. Yeah, yeah. so I've so I've heard. <laughs> I don't really like the buy yeah. flag, but that's another story. I know. I'm like, but this looks so gender essentialist. But um, but anyway, um, I'm trying to think what else. I want to make sure we at least talk about like the you know Hellcat having been existed having been super clear and having been canceled. 17 issues. Oh, my God. I'm sup- I mean, I don't – how it lasted for 17 issues. I'm just like – Marvel just is folks, like, No, Hellcat, you know, the writer of Hellcat is, is, is queer and it had a number of different artists on it, you know, some of whom were LGBTQ, had a very LGBTQ cast of characters that were built around the lead character. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of folks were super heartbroken when it was canceled. Um, I mean, they they did end the series on their own terms, or at least where they wanted mm-hmm. to. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know, it's weird. Like, uh, the way I looked at it, from the way I understood it, it didn't exactly get, you know, boom, axed with the way that, say, Mockingbird or Nighthawk seemed to. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they mm-hmm. were kind of, it, it seemed like they had space to, to kind of, do what they wanted to edit it. But, uh, yeah, no, Kay Leth and Brittany Williams, the main artists on the series are, are phenomenal. I, uh, I have an essay in the latest, um, issue of the MNT, um, that kind of, that talked about them a little bit. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, it was a hugely important, uh, a comic for sure. 
um, that really, you know, Patsy herself was portrayed as straight. Um, I mean, and, and that was kind of pushed at for sure. They pushed out the limits of that with the relationship with, with She-Hulk, but they built such a robust queer coded um, world into it. Like one of the, the, the main um, settings of the comic is, is, is a gay bookstore. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that was so amazing. And I mean, having Ian, Ian Sue in there, was that, that was his name, right, Logan? Yeah, you yeah, can see the by day forever that, um, I mean, freaking, I, I need to go on Twitter and like hit up Stephen Grace and be like, dude, you gotta slip this guy into, into Iceman. <gasps> yes, like, Iceman <laughs> needs to date Ian Sue. I, I don't think I've cared this well, much about something along those lines in quite some time, and now I care a great deal. Yeah, well, uh, I'm just thinking like, be, I mean, he has so few options. Really like, Dakin is. So well, it's, yeah, it's a, the, not... the current Iceman series is he's adult. So like, I mean, I don't, yeah. but I don't know. How old, I, I never know how old these characters are. I'm sorry. I mean, like, it's all how old you want them to be. You know, it doesn't really mean anything. But um, but yeah, I guess just heads up, folks. There's a new Iceman comic. You might not know because it didn't get promoted a great deal, starring Iceman, God. who is gay, even if he was outed in like a ridiculously <laughs> anti-bi scene. By Brian Michael Bendis, uh, the character is gay, which is cool. And um, oh God, I didn't even mean that as a pun. Uh, Logan gave the comic <laughs> a positive <laughs> review, not like oh my yeah, God, mostly positive. I mean, it wasn't ever, like but a perfect, positive review. But yeah, lovely. Yeah. I, I wanted to actually I, go on dates and stuff. Like I think I get a me- I had a message from this one of my like fellow. There's so many like queer men who love X Men, like just in the community, and they're like. Did Iceman get his dick sucked? I'm like, father, no, but, he like yeah. just came out. <laughs> like, give him some time. But like, I really want him to go on dates and stuff because I know like little Iceman has a boyfriend named Romeo, which is like the most ridiculous. And that was obviously written by a straight man um, thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I, I looked at the solicits and like him and Dakin are going to be in an issue. Which okay, that could be fun. Like. Because uh, everyone forgets, like Wolverine has a bi son. Yeah, I was I was gonna say they remember Dakin was a thing. Like, <laughs> I, think, I, I think he's he's coming. He's, yeah, he's gonna get a resurgence because I mean Tom Taylor has been hinting at using him in all new Wolverine to get a family reunion oh, going. But mm-hmm. my my concern always with Iceman is that someone's gonna get their tongue stuck. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Well, I haven't oh, read the new Iceman issue, though I, 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 I probably will, but I did appreciate John Eric uh, of Twitter, known as Honestly John, had said that he felt like the art was a little bit, like, really not for the gay male sensibility and, like, was trying to be like, look at how, like, heterosexual and standard everything is. And oh. I do think that it did kind of look off the top of the of my head as being, like, pretty pretty generic, like, you know, we there. This, is like, this isn't Christopher Anka. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not saying you could put Christopher Anka on every book. He's only one man, but or is he? No. I mean, Russell Dodderman. They should get Russell Dodderman. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Like but, he's the only reason yeah, I like, still read Mighty Thor. <laughs> oh, Russell Dodderman. I wrote an essay about Thor's arm and how her arm is the oh, most yeah, important thing. So. Russell Darman, I'm all about that. But yeah, like. But he's artist, just like he's a big star now, so. Of, yeah, but the art, so the artist assignment kind of seems sort of arbitrary. Whereas the choice of Cinna Grace was obviously very thought. 
Oh, he's 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 great. He has a background in auto bio and in, in really indie, really auto bio like comics. So choosing him was really thoughtful, but I'm not really sure to what extent. Either choosing that particular artist was either like, well, let's make it cool for the hets, or it was really like not particularly thinking about the audience for the book. But I don't know. Somebody's probably going to write to me and be like, I am a gay man and I adore the art on Ice Mat, and then I'll feel terrible. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I liked it. Alessandro yeah. Vitti is like one of those like. He, like solid Marvel. He was on Secret Warriors back in the day. He's one of those like solid like kind of Marvel artists. But like I looked at issue two. But there was issue two, including the, the Advocate, and it's like generic as fuck. And like the, the X Men books in general, just like back in the day, like I don't know. This is even before I was reading comics. Like all the superstar artists were on X Men, but now it's just like I don't know, like freaking like just middle of the pack generic like. Mm-hmm makes your eyes bleed kind of art. Like, like Jean, I think Jean Grey has good art because they got the artist on Storm, but, like, it's just, like, come on, it's, people. It's, it's Marvel. You guys have money. Like, throw some money yeah. at some people. I don't know. There's, there's, there's a real <laughs> dearth of, of boutique-style books with the queer leads now. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. America is, is a hugely different concept because they have, you know, Joe Quinones on there, uh, and, and this is a boutique book, and they're saying this is, like, our key thing. Um, but it, it's too bad when they're not doing outreach and looking beyond the, the same regular names, the house styles to do this. I mean, I think we all kind of wanted the, the Rucka Williams Batwoman, like detective comics run to be like, this is how you present a character like this. This is how you break through. You find someone who does beautiful, gorgeous stuff that they, they can bring the art to a different level to appeal outside the bubble. And that just doesn't happen anymore um, to, to a large extent. I mean, obviously we had Midnighter with, with uh, ACO um, as the main artist. And you kind of have these things, bits and pieces. But outside of Harley Quinn uh, you, and, and America, you just don't really have the sense that they want to invest in the art and get people mm-hmm. that are just doing boom, you know, the best that they can do and giving them a timeline to do the best they can do at it. It's kind of house style. And I kind of felt with the first issue of Iceman that senior grace got really locked into doing the Marvel method with all this exposition and, and these kind of the generic sort of hospital scene. It's sort of like, we kind of saw this conversation in X-Men two, where it was still all subtext, but it was still the same conversation with Bobby's parents. He, you know, it just didn't have Wolverine getting shot in the head on their front porch. Um, <laughs> You know, but otherwise it was the same sequence. And it's like, you know, it's like you said, uh, Cena Grace has done great auto bio stuff and he has all this potential and it will we'll probably see it. It just wasn't there on the first issue. It was like, this is a Marvel comic. This is Marvel comic things. And uh, so the first issue didn't move me, but I'm not going to blame him. I, I just hope that he gets to spread his wings some more and we get to see his voice because I don't really feel like I felt that I heard his voice in that issue mm. personally so it's just like their style. I mean I, I like do want to say that we did, we did have sorry oh we did oh, have sorry. this this past year we just had the first issue with uh, a queer lead creative team Steve Orlando and um, Gabe uh, I'm sorry his last name is Byrne and his first name I'm forgetting but he's not oh, John Byrne. Byrne. I love he's, that guy so Stephen much. Byrne. He's better. He's a better artist than uh, John Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But uh, he, uh, they, the two of them did an issue of The Ray together, Justice League, to launch the character The Ray, who's gay. And um, that was the first, like, you know, two, like, lead creators are both LGBTQ, doing an LGBTQ character at a mainstream title that I'm aware of, but definitely at DC Comics. And it's cool that, like, I appreciate that DC has Steve Orlando, who's definitely very much there as being like, hi, I'm bi and I will talk about this, is leading a comic that is in no way defined by his sexual orientation because he's running Justice League of America. That's just a very marquee, straightforward, big-name title for them, you know? So I'm glad that they invested in, in having him have the authority to just do that, you know? Yeah, DC is like, I mean, because they have Chris Conroy, who's like one of their big editors. And then, yeah, I mean, Tinian and like Orlando, Marguerite Bennett, and I'm probably forgetting people, but like some of the art, like they, they definitely have like queer creators writing queer characters. I'm like, Marvel just fired their last, like their only, I think their only person of color and their only like a queer editor. So I don't know that he, we, I don't think that we know that he fired. I, I think that or, we just know well, that he they, does not he, work I there. don't know. He just, he, yeah, it's not there anymore. So like, probably. Him not being there is definitely a loss for folks. Yes, but I just don't want to like. Oh, he was smart. We don't really know. If somebody does know, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know that we. Know. Well, I know what was it? Well, Wakanda was canceled, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since the movie is coming out, and they just released the teaser trailer, and I keep seeing you know, comments on Twitter like, oh, well, you know, it sucks that we see all this excitement for the movie, but these books are being canceled. No, we showed up to buy them. Nobody knows how. <laughs> like, movie fans don't know how, you know. And, you know, and it's like, and going back to the art thing, like, first of all, I, I straight up hate house art. Like, it's boring. It's dull. I'm over it. <laughs> like, it's just, it, it's the same thing. And trust, I sell these comics, like, three times a week for like eight hours a day. I know what it looks like. I sort through those back issue boxes. I see it in my sleep. <laughs> like, do you all know how much I have money nightmares I've had about Deadpool the Duck? Um, <laughs> like, the yeah, so how far is... <laughs> yeah, so I can make a list of how many Deadpool titles we have, or had anyway. Um, you know, because eventually it's just it's oversaturation and nobody wants them anymore. So... But yeah, it's it's the same art over and over and over again, and I think it it kind of goes back to like not having these like queer voices in the background, you know, in in positions of power, I should say rather, um, you know, whether as mm-hmm. writers or as artists or as editors, especially editors. Like, come on, where where are your queer editors? Like, people are out there. Like, you know, <laughs> we exist, um, and they don't really get like what appeals, mm. you know, because Marvel's like Marvel, <laughs> you know, they have their style and it's worked to a certain amount, you know, I mean, they've been around for 70 years, so it's worked apparently, you know, whether, wh- whatever drama is going on now, I won't get into that, but, you know, so like <laughs> when I look at, when I look at like Iceman, it's like, you know, like you could do better. Like, it's great that it's on the shelf, you know, it is on the shelf at my shop, um, you know, and it's, I think we ordered it mostly because it was an X-Men title because my bosses don't keep up. Um, you know, the new stuff belongs to me. The old stuff belongs to them as far as information goes. Um, mm. You know, but, like, you you could do you could do better. Like, you could think, like, you know, what's going to appeal to 
to queer identifying men? You know, what, what do they want to see? Like, you know, what, what sort of images, like what artists are out there that are popular, you know, for that group? Like what kind of outreach can we do? Like going back to America, I saw a bunch of press releases, you know, like, Hey, we got this Puerto author and we got, you know, this Latinx uh, artist and the letterer and the colorist, which is all great, but is it like lip service or is it genuine is my question. You know? I mean, and I think I've talked like about this before, um, you know, how like, like representation isn't for a headline. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like what America does. Um, I can't say I love the story, you know, off the bat, but I like what it does. I like what the book represents. I think it's about time she has that, you know, and the art is different. You know, it kind of emphasizes like her as a character, which works. Not in love with the coloring, but you know, it is what it is. But like, there's, you know, where's the follow up? Where's the outreach? You know, this is a huge character, yeah. it's a fan favorite. Do some marketing for her, push her. Like, I can't get away from Secret Empire, whether I'm on my <laughs> computer or not. You know, like, it's everywhere. But you try to find stuff for America outside of those press releases, you know, or a couple of interviews, or what about Iceman? Like, I think I saw one press release maybe a month ago, which does nothing because you have to put your orders in, like, two months ahead of time, two, three months ahead of time. And then if you do reorders, those books can take up to a month to get back in, if not longer. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. you know, you're, you're kind of setting, if you don't market these books ahead of time, you're kind of setting them up to fail. And then you turn around and you say, well, these books didn't sell, you know? It's like, well, why do you think they didn't sell? So, yeah, like there's, it's a layered issue for sure. Um, you know, like I said, I don't like house art. I think that's one of the reasons why webcomics are so fantastic is because they don't employ that style. Like there's so many different types of art out there that directly appeal to the, to the community in different ways. You know, and to specific mm-hmm. parts of the community in different ways. So, but yeah. <laughs> the, there's a, yeah, well, I feel like Marvel, like, will get a queer creator, but then, like, just use them. And, like, they, they got they had Noelle Stevenson back during Secret Wars for a mm-hmm. tie-in. And they, like, I feel like they, they, they'll they get, like, yeah. They'll get, like, a really good creator who, like, who, you know, has done, who's done well in the book market or in web comics. But then, like, they'll set them up to fail and then they'll like blame it. Like, well, it wasn't organic enough and what's still have Dan on it. Like, yeah, it's like, they don't, <laughs> they, they just, they need a culture change. And then I'm, I'm starting to just begin to like not even care anymore and just read image stuff and like Oni stuff. And like, if I need, if I need me like mainstream, I got DC. <laughs> yeah. Well, that definitely is, you know, we should wrap pretty soon, but I definitely yeah. want to make sure we have plenty of time for folks to talk about, Exactly, like what are those indie titles and even web comics that need to be read? And now, mind you, the theme of the episode is the state of LGBTQ comics, which means about how much you love something from three years ago. I want it to be that's from so um, um, hit it up. There, there was one thing I wanted to say about what to the point Desiree with marketing quickly, and Logan's already heard mm-hmm. this from me, but. Um, if you watch Riverdale, Archie has a Batman Rebirth poster in his bedroom. Oh, right? I love it there's, so much. There's DC posters everywhere, and that's in an Archie show. So someone at Warner Brothers went to the CW, and they paid some money to get DC Comics covers in an Archie Comics TV show. Okay, 
Jesus. Yeah, I'm I'm catching up on iZombie right now, and they shot an episode in my uh, local comic store that I go to all the time, um, Golden Age Collectibles in downtown Vancouver. Brilliant shop. Hit them up. They're great. Um, but and in the background, like they removed, like I know where there's usually like a whole bunch of toys. They removed them all, and in the background, it's all DC Comics. It's all Rebirth DC Comics. This is the current season. It's like season three, episode nine, I think. It's a Dungeons and Dragons episode. Anyway, you'll see them soft focus in the background, all DC Comics. Um, you know, and there was like what Akiva, um, is it Goldsman, the guy who wrote the the screenplays for all the the, the Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When 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 he was on Fringe. He talked to people at DC and had them draw those alternate universe DC comics for a five second spot where it was like Superman died um, or uh, instead of Supergirl and crisis on infinite earth or Batman died instead of, you know, Superman and the, the death of Superman. DC goes out and they do these things. Now, ABC, which is owned by Disney has a sitcom called blackish and it's a great show. Um, starring Anthony Anderson, right? Great, great show. And they had this incredible episode about police involved shootings and talking about multi-generational approaches to it between you know the the father the dre and the son and the grandfather um and the son comes in holding a copy of between the world and me the ta-nehisi coates book and they talk about ta-nehisi coates and he shows up in the episode on tv talking about these situations um and i'm sitting there like this is nuts because at the time that that episode aired, he was already writing Black Panther, right? So they, they, they managed to get, include him in a conversation about police violence and had product placement for his book. But there has never, in any episode of that show, been a Black Panther poster anywhere in any of the kids' bedrooms. There hasn't been a, any Marvel comic book sitting anywhere on the set. There isn't a um, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl any product oh. placement for that either. And the little girl, Diane, of the two twins, is like the Internet's favorite fan cast for, for Moon Girl. And they don't hmm. take advantage of this. They don't do anything with it. And, and it's like it's practically free. What would it cost them to put their own comics in, in a TV show owned by their own company? And yet they'll splash out and have an entire episode where an L.A.-based family, right, they, they live in Los Angeles, have an episode where they go to Disney World and, 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 have, and show all of the things you can do at Disney World for an entire episode, but they can't splash out to have a single issue of Nighthawk or Black Panther or Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur or Black Panther and the Crew or World of Wakanda in any of their own programming, while Warner Brothers will put money into somebody's hands to make sure that Archie Andrews falls asleep with Batman looking down on him every night. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'll see the Florida favorite webcomics now, but that was my, my only point about marketing. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, back to ABC, they have, there's another sitcom, Fresh Off the Boat. It's like an Asian family, and they there's a Fresh Off the Boat comic for some reason, and boom, publishes it, not to, not a not a Marvel. Hmm. Like, it's like they don't care, and like, they they just they don't there's like this huge like YA market and like the don't bring the Telgemeier. and they don't care about that either. They're like they're like a fossil, like for real. Oh, I'm sorry. So comics that people should be reading uh, from queer creative teens or at minimum with queer characters. Ooh, ooh. 
that are recent? I, I just reviewed. I just reviewed this today. Um, nothing lasts. It's a it's a graphic memoir from Scene and Grace you mentioned earlier. Um, nothing lasts mm-hmm. forever, and it's probably like, and it's really cool, like, because uh, it's like probably one of the best like looks at like queer relate like especially men like men like queer relationships, um, and it's done in like a journal style. So it's like very like there's like little vignettes you can like read a few pages and then like move on to something else. So it's not like super intense. But yeah, and it's like you also got to kind of see the range of his art styles and also like his kind of place in because he's kind of like he'll, he'll like draw like really indie stuff like Little Depressed Boy, and then he'll like do stuff for Marvel and he's kind of caught in this in between kind of thing. So that's it's cool too. And and there's a scene where he's on an elevator with Savage Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's cool. It's like it's kind of a hodgepodge of stuff, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I really wish like, people look- would tell more stories like that, like more kind of just like real life, slice of life, like about queer life. And that would like the people would see more and not just like, oh, let's make a superhero gay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Desiree. I'm actually, I'm trying to look up the exact name of the, it's a webcomic that I like. Um And actually, to Tamika, uh, Meeks is on that one too. It's called Love and Circuits, um, or Love Circuits. Not you see, this is why I had to look it up. Um, yeah, Love Circuits. Mm-hmm. It's a web comic. I really like that one. Um, check please. I know that's popular, so that might be a cop out, but I like that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't even like hockey. I don't even like. I hate <laughs> the cold. You don't even know. Um, but it's really cute. <laughs> um, so those two. Um, oh, what? I mean, I like some of the like some of the older stuff. I like X Factor. Uh, I have a couple of trades of those because Richter and Shatterstar are amazing. Um, I don't know where they are now. Um, uh, did Richter no, die in like Inhumans versus X Men? I have no clue. Um, but I have the I have that trade because trades are just so much easier. Um, there's some other ones. Um, let me see. I definitely see, like, a lot of folks talk about, you know, generally Kim and Kim, which is going to be back real soon with a new oh my God, new season of Kim and Kim, as it were, which is pretty unique in it's being, like, funny but smart. And, oh. um, mm-hmm. so yeah, Kim and Kim and then uh, Zodiac Star Force is coming back. I'm excited oh, for that yeah. one. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah. I'm super excited for that one to come back. So I think I I think I added that to my pool list too because I was like no give me give me yeah definitely um, like um, Star Force can be can be good for some fairly young folks as well which is nice um, but yeah those are really good <laughs> comics I'm uh, I'm I'm sitting on right now an interview with Trongles for his uh, coloring book that's coming up in August from Limerence which is Oni Press's oh, yeah. kind of more adult oriented imprint which is best known for being the home of publishing Erica Moen's um, Oh Joy Sex Toy um, in print. Um, and they're doing some, some wild stuff out there. I mean, like I've seen the whole coloring book. It's, it's incredible. Um, and the interview that we did is it's, it's, it's incredible because he's so articulate um, and, and really enthusiastic about talking about queer aesthetics 
um, and, and gender and sex and, and really digging into his art and where it comes from. Um, and that's coming out in August, which is really cool. Um, I also, from the same imprint, um, interviewed Meredith McLaren, uh, who is a, a longtime, um, uh, what do you call it, a collaborator with uh, Kelly Thompson. They did a Heart in a Box together, and, they also, and she was also had a stint on Gem and the Holograms. Um, she has a, a graphic novel called, called Super Fun Sexy Times coming in either next year or 2019. It's going to be a while for that, but it's an anthology um, style, not an anthology style, but a bunch of short stories following different superheroes who have a whole variety of different um, sexual orientations and, and kinks and wow. whatnot. And the, the five-page preview or the two-page or whatever preview I got was about a cross-dressing male superhero who was coming out to his female partner and how they were handling that interaction um, without it being cruel or mean. Um, and that was really cool. Um, so there's, there's just, there's a ton of stuff coming. Um, I mean, like, uh, yeah. Um, not necessarily with queer characters in it, but with a writer, um, I've been following uh, Tini Howard for a bit. She's on uh, the Magdalena uh, with Ryan and Katie, uh, who are co-writing together at Top Cow. Um, and I think that's really cool because I got to interview them as well. And we actually talked about Catholicism and the place of religion in comics and how we could really do with more in-depth thought on that. Um, and so she's working on that right now. And it's also really cool to talk to, you know, a female writer the same age as me, you know, roughly. Mm-hmm who, you know, over 30, who's writing a character over 30 and gets to see the art, like an artist work intelligently to draw a woman over 30, you know, um, which, which is, which is a really neat experience. Cause I mean, there's that whole thing on Twitter where someone had overheard a cake, these, these kids at a party being like, can you still make relevant comics after age 30? And it's just like, go back to kindergarten, <laughs> you know, but there's that prejudice there. Um, that's kind of ridiculous because yeah, sure. There's like 50 year old men doing like out of touch junk, but I mean, like, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough because you also see women in the industry who are, you know, over 30 talking about how few of them there are and how, if mm-hmm. you have kids, how do you balance this and queer women deal with this too, obviously. And how do you just stick around? Um, because like a, a lot of women just leave or age out or whatever. Um, and that's the thing, like Kate left, like who we were talking about. I don't I think, I don't think she's 30 yet, but she's, she's getting close. We'll get her eventually. We'll get she's you all. pretty young, I guess. Um, Maybe. I don't know. But, but uh, she doesn't have any comics coming out right now. Um, when the Hellcat tra- trade dropped, that was kind of it. Cause she's off in animation now. Um, and, you know, maybe she'll come back to comics. I hope she does. But that's the thing is that you kind of, like, there's not so much of a gravitational pull to stay for women beyond a certain age. And it, it, it's difficult to hang in there um, and to swim upstream against this stuff. Um, so, but if you look elsewhere, if you look in Japan and if you look at France and Belgium, women stick around for way longer creating stuff, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Rumiko Takahashi didn't do a heck of, I sorry, not Rumiko, uh, Rumiko Takahashi did do a ton, did, did, had a massive, you know, long career of creating things, uh, Naoko Takuchi is who I meant to say, 
didn't do a heck of a lot of direct manga beyond Sailor Moon, but you know, there's longevity there. And that's something that we need to talk about is that I've been saying it. If we want better queer representation in comics, if we want all these things, it means that we have to, there has to be solidarity and labor issues, you know, in getting people mm-hmm. healthcare and getting people, you know, equitable pay because, you know, for queer people to be able to show up and make the best comics and have the time and space and energy and do that, they need to be paid to do that. And any of the economic pressures that someone who doesn't pay their taxes like Peter David um, uh, is subject to, those are only going to be amplified for, for women um, and then mm-hmm. further amplified for women of color or queer women or disabled people and so on. And so you understand that a- anything that makes it difficult for your garden variety white male from the suburbs to make comics and to eke out a living is going to get harder for everybody else. And that's one of the big things that, you know, that makes us disappear so fast. Yeah. I think it's no surprise that in Europe where people have healthcare through the government, there's a lot more people who are able to sustain themselves as artists um, and doing creative work. But I also think it's interesting that the young people were like, can anybody do relevant art over 30? definitely goes to show that they are only reading web comics because there are very few people under 30 who are published uh, at the big two. So I think yeah. it also says something about the audience who's speaking in that. Yeah. Rosa Larian, sorry, Megan Rose Gedris is a, is a, is a creator I wanted to mention is doing a lot of web stuff. Um, that's mm. really, really cool. And she especially does a lot of erotic queer stuff. Um, and she's definitely someone that, that I would look to for sure on, on the web platform. And she's definitely um, over 32. So like she, and she's hardcore making, well, literally hardcore uh, relevant stuff. So. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I just want to give one last second for everyone to each of our guests to say where folks can find you on the internet. For example, in my case, people can find me at graphicpolicy.com the vast majority of the time. I did just have a piece on Wonder Woman and being queer uh, in on the comics beat, but generally graphic policy. And I'm on Twitter all the damn time at E L A N A underscore Brooklyn. You guys know it's true. Um, and on Tumblr at Ilana Brooklyn with no space. What about you, Logan? Where can folks find you? Um, you can find I most of my comics at the graphic policy, but I write about TV and film at goombastomp.com. Um, I actually recently wrote about Wonder Woman, and it's, like, disguised as a top ten list article, but I wrote a lot. I spent, like, a lot of time talking about her bisexuality um, and giving a nice – and, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter all the time, uh, Midnighter Bay, like the character Midnighter, B-A-E, and that's, like, really the only social media I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> Desiree, where are you hanging out? Um. Oh. One more comic I had to recommend. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm so late. Um, but the Bingo Love comic that is a Kickstarter right now by Dave mm. Franklin, um, super excited about that. Um, I backed that, you know, and I'm super, super excited for it. So that's another one that I, I have to just give a shout out to. Um, but people can find me uh, on latinosmediamusings.com. Uh, it's my website. Um has all my social handles. Um, if you follow me on Tumblr or Twitter or, gosh, Instagram, it is late. Um, it's mostly just pictures of like cats and comics. <laughs> um, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, I mostly retweet stuff and then make some opinions sometimes at Boricua Desiree. Um, 
And then, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. And Logan. So, Emma, and I already went Emma. Emma time. Emma time. Oh, right. Sorry, Emma. Thanks. Um, you don't find me, I find you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, my my Twitter is e m m a h o u x b o i s. Um, I mean, I don't really use um Tumblr that much, but uh, I have a really cool URL and it's uh, Sombra the Hacking Girl. So I mean, if you want to see pictures of fashion and like a bunch of wrestling gifts, go for it. Um, but uh, <laughs> writing writing wise, you can typically find me at Comicosity, uh, London Graphic Novel Network, uh, Women Write About Comics. Uh, you can also find an essay for me in the latest um, issue of the MNT, which is uh, really great. Uh, if you pledge to them for a buck, you get a digital copy of their, um, uh, of their, their magazine every month. Um, and it's, it's founded by a really cool bunch of people. Um, you've got Christian Hoffer, who does Pokemon stuff mostly now for Comic Book. Oh, uh, Megan Purdy from Women Write About Comics is on the editorial team. Um, and um, Steve, uh, God, what is his last name? The Rabbit Guy, who did all those Morris. great interviews for um, Comics Alliance back in the day. He's also oh, Steve Morris. Steve Morris, there you go. Um, mm-hmm. He's also uh, on that team. So those guys are, are cool to watch for. Definitely worth checking it out. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us. And um, I'm sorry Brett was out, but he has got the plague, which sucks, but he'll be back soon. And I'm really glad you all were able to join us. And anyone listening to this, feel free to shout out your favorite LGBTQ comics um, to us Mm -hmm. on Twitter. We love to hear from you all. We'll be back next week. Um, We're graphicpolicy.com is the website, graphicpolicy, graphicpolicy is the Twitter, et cetera. We keep it nice and consistent. And keep it geeky. Good night.